This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub Podcast. In this episode, I have Dirk Stark on, a gentleman who's just been in the hunting industry for a while, kind of working in the background with various companies and things. Uh, just ran into him on Instagram and... Uh, really interested interested to uh, chat with him on some various bow accessories you know not really accessories but strings and fletchings veins that sort of thing uh, because that's one of the companies it works with but then we just started talking all about that and then the um, velvet lock company just all bow hunted related stuff uh, and was actually pleasantly surprised how much i learned and uh, was interested in, in some of these products. So take a look at this, uh, some cool science being involved in the, uh, hunting gear world. And so all those advancements and things with American made products and, uh, some cool stuff. So check that out and hope you enjoy. We got a one hour episode of some good stuff. So hope you enjoy this episode with Dirk Stark. Thanks. All right, thanks for coming on to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, real quick, just introduce yourself and kind of what, uh, I guess you got a lot of irons in the fire, so I don't want to spend the whole time talking about that. As I think we could definitely do that, but um, maybe just a little bit about yourself and then um, personally, and then we'll go into the uh, introduction right. of, of what your business about. Sure. Thanks, Clint. This, my name's Ed Dirk Stark. I live in Minnesota, but... Um, I hunt in South Dakota quite a bit, and uh, that's kind of how Clint and I end up kind of running over each other is uh, talking about antelope hunting in South Dakota, um, and actually a real good friend of mine that passed away that um, worked for Game Fishing Parks, uh, Keith Winterstein. But um, I've been in the hunting industry about 30 years, um, started making turkey calls, wingbone calls, and doing seminars. Um to Fleet Farm and Cabela's and Gander Mountain and stuff like 30 years ago. 
um, and ended up, uh, they got in the shield stores and then pretty soon, um, I was doing stuff for the different conservation banquets and, and things like that. And, um, got in the industry before there was internet. Um, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so actually we, I did a, a, a video about being social on social and talked about the days that, you know, today everyone says, look at me on Facebook, right? Instead of engaging like we used to do, we used to go to the archery shop or we'd do something at the um, at the local gun club or the Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts and do little things like that or at Fleet Farm or wherever. And um, that's how brands became social and that's how hunters learned about stuff because we didn't have the internet. And then, then came the internet, and then came MySpace. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> right? So, so I've been around a while, um, and um, love the outdoors, um, and have, um, I guess, uh, I have a hunting ranch in western South Dakota, um, as well. That's archery only, and uh, it's great to have hunters all over the place come from there. Um, I currently have a marketing company and it's marketing, sales, product development, um, content creation for many different brands. So that's kind of as well how I end up reaching out to Clint too, because of looking at um, if he was familiar with some of the products that I work with. Yeah. And I guess uh, just on the hunting side of things, what mm-hmm. what's your your passion in the outdoors as far as like, is it mule deer? Is it elk? Like if you had to pick one of those, what's what's your stick? Um, I have a t-shirt that I made for the ranch that says, if the arrows ain't flying, there ain't no dying. So, so, archery hunting, obviously. Yeah. So anything archery, um, you know, I got started in archery at about age eight. Um, I love to spear carp and I was so small that the, 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 um, um, the, um, spear was too heavy for me. And so my grandpa bought me a, a bow for bow fishing, and uh, that's kind of how I got into it. I started shooting squirrels and chipmunks and everything else and got into it, and then eventually started making my own arrows and made my own camouflage before there was tr- before there was a real tree. <laughs> um, yeah, shoot, oh, should have got a patent behind that thing, and you would have been all right. <laughs> right, right. I remember Jim Crumley's tree bark camo when it came out, so I went to Fleet Farm and bought a gray pair of coveralls, and, and took some black paint and started making my own tree bark. <laughs> that was my first camel. Oh, wow. Back in the day. So, Good story. Yeah. So so lots of fun stuff. Um, lots of fun memories. And, you know, just a lot of great, great, great people that I've met and um, have got to meet over the time. And and always there's always more to learn and, and more new people to meet. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that, you know, that's kind of how we got connected too. Was Keith because I I I bow hunted for antelope out in Western South Dakota for about ten years, just on public ground, stomping around. And and Keith and I would would um, hunt together. And we brought in uh, I brought in Ted Nugent. I brought in the keepers for one of their hunts, uh, Mike Sieve. And so we always had someone and doing stuff with tourism and and uh, just a blast. And um, but it was a lot of work for sure on that public ground. Um, and so um, I'm very fortunate right now to have my own ground and bring people in and have a good time with that. So, Yeah, and now I'm sure you're kind of keeping tabs on things, but because uh, that's going to affect you is South Dakota's 
proposal for limited non-resident archery tags. Yeah, I, I've seen seen that, and I asked him about it. And my understanding on it so far is that it's for public ground. Right. Um, right. They might differentiate that for private ground. Unlimited which, for private, and this is still like proposed, so it's right. not like set in law yet. But um, for private ground, for sure, there's it's unlimited in the proposal, and then on public ground is twenty two hundred non residents. Yeah, towns. yeah, which. Which I see that many people, it seems like, up in, in Harding County. <laughs> oh, no kidding. <laughs> for not residents. And if anyone's well, wondering where that's at, that's northwest South Dakota. Right, right. And for sure. It, it's amazing. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be at the ranch there and I'll see people from New York and West Virginia and they've got campers. And I mean, that's what I did. You know, years ago, that's what I did is hunted that public ground and that's how I got hooked. And uh, your success on public ground is you know less than 10 percent chance you know i mean oh, it's right. it's crazy but it, it offers opportunity and that's um something joel maxfield and i talk about quite a bit back and forth about how south dakota is changing things i mean here they have public ground and then as non-residents you can't hunt it until for deer until october 1 where if you hunt private ground it's september 1 you know, and so yeah, he's like, hey, I pay taxes, federal taxes, just like everyone else. Why can't I hunt? So that's a huge controversy. And I, I, it's just an interesting con- conversation, you know, and what is it about managing that, that can't be managed like other states, you know, um, to make that work out like Kansas or Iowa or stuff like that, that, that do things differently. I, I'm obviously here in Minnesota and I won't even get into how the DNR manages things here, but (laughs) (laughs) right. Right. But, but it's, it's, it's a hard thing. And, and I know obviously with your background, it's, it's a really hard deal to, to do, except that I think the only way you can have is really open conversations with people about things like that. Yeah. And, and I, you're never going to please everybody. There's always people who are upset about this and that. And, uh, you look at the end goal and I know this is like a social, um, management thing more than right. the wildlife. So you're managing hunters. So hunter satisfaction right. to try and control the number of people out there. And most of my listeners are actually from Colorado, Arizona, California. Um, and those hunters, a lot of them are traveling to Colorado if they're not in Colorado. Right. Already. And that is an orange army for sure. And, and right. loaded with that. And I saw some clickbait and I didn't click on it. So I'll be, I just, <laughs> It's too early yet, so I did see something about end of OTC. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens in Colorado over the next few years with the right. over-the-counter takes because it's every year it seems like there's a no, new GMU that's not listed under the over-the-counter tag, but you still have increasing numbers of over-the-counter hunters going to less and less units. So it just makes sense to me that, well, if – if those are going to be continually limited, then how how can you maintain an over-the-counter archery tag if there's less and less units in it? So right, a lot lot happening there in Colorado. I think that um, it'll be interesting well, to see. Then, and then also in your position, you know that hunter numbers seem to be going down and down and down. So so that kind of throws me in a loop, going, okay, if hunter numbers are going down. Why does there seem to be more pressure on 
on on public grounds, you know, and that I can't, that I haven't quite figured out because if the hunting numbers were going up, man, I love it because we'd be selling a lot more hunting products. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And it seems like overarching, like decrease, increase of hunters is a really, it doesn't make sense. But when you look at regionally different areas, I think that makes more sense. And then also you have, uh, people like myself where I only hunted whatever state I lived in and right. now it's I hunted Minnesota last year um oh my gosh you were one of the few non-residents that came over I did and I shot a bear with my bow it was <laughs> oh great. there you go for yeah. bear for bear there you go yeah yep. it was a good time um and so I was in there Colorado South Dakota uh so only three states and that's not even a lot compared to a lot of people and this and then yeah. I hunted down in Texas just a month ago. So right. you've got people that are traveling, you're doing more hunts and, and, uh, just increasing the number that they're doing. And I think that's, what's, what's, uh, showing that overcrowdedness. And then also on the public land piece of the trendiness of I'm a DIY public land hunter, uh, oh. that, that I feel like has some, some pressure to put on. Well, you only, you're only really doing it the best way possible if you're doing it on public ground which is great i yeah i hunt 95 percent on public ground right. i love it it's right. great um but i'm not going to turn away a ten thousand acre ranch if <laughs> I, right i can go hunt on right. it and still have the same experience i just don't always yeah. like the um 40 acre pieces or 100 acre pieces like you can't hunt the deer those are always a little right. trickier, but right. Um, uh, and but it, Western hunting, yeah, that, Western style. Yeah. Hunting. Now that's different with right. Eastern hunting in a tree stand where you could hunt some public it, and it, you still fi- have to figure them out for sure. And you can hunt. Yeah, them. but it's 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 still tough. I've we've got 120 acres here. I hunt in Minnesota, and and actually it's more for food plots and photography and you know oh, sure. my my business right. But it's got some great deer. I mean, my neighbor shot a 196 and three quarter, and we've had a couple of 200. I'm right across the road from a 200 acre state park, so you know that helps to have that. But in reality, I mean, during the rut, I mean, we're talking deer move five miles. You know, my my neighbors don't wait on the road to get the same deer on camera as I do, and so really, you're just pass shooting. And and so I mean. So you can try to pattern them, but really, uh, in in a scenario like that, you're, you might pattern them early season, but during the gun season, forget it. And so that's why I I head out west because then I don't have to deal with <laughs> oh, <laughs> deal sure. with that because it's so it's frustrating when you as a land manager you take care of your land and you you put out food plots and you make trails and you plant trees and put in water and all that kind of stuff. And then you realize, okay, well, I've, uh, there's someone that comes, you know, that comes hunts once a year for a day and, you know, they still have the tags and their orange stuff and they come out and shoot. And, and I'm like, okay, I, I get all defensive about it, but then I think, well, at least they came out. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and they bought some hunting gear. Yeah. And they bought some hunting gear. And so it's a start because, you know, I have to look, really take a step back. I mean, it's really easy for us hunters to get judgmental about that. But at some time we were all there, you know, we were, we were all there and, and we all had our stuff. And I, I remember, you know, 
hunting weekend, deer hunting weekend was two days with my dad. And that was it. Yeah. Well, and I called myself a deer hunter, yeah. <laughs> right? And now it's, you know, a hundred, 200 days a year. I'm working on stuff for deer. Yeah, so, absolutely. And yeah. we don't need to get into a non-resident yeah. support kind of discussion, right. but um, no, right. what you think about, like just on my bear hunt to Minnesota, I'm pretty sure I dropped a thousand bucks pretty easily. Um, and I was, uh, yeah, thousand bucks is really what I, what I spent. And it was just on fuel tags and I stayed at my brother's house. So I didn't even have a, have a hotel. So it's easy to drop two grand on any hunt to the next state over just because of the drive and the fuel, they got to go eat and all that. You're just helping, helping bring some money into that economy. And here in South Dakota and our rural little towns, that's important. We oh, thrive right. off of those, like Buffalo in Harding County, Northwest South yeah, Dakota. Yeah. They thrive off of antelope hunters yeah. and archery hunters just going into yeah. their their little restaurants and bars, having having oh. a drink and eating food. And, and and there is there isn't many bars and restaurants. No, nope. <laughs> there isn't many people there. Right? Yeah, you got to go there and no, support them. Right, right. You know, um, I was at a SCI. Um, thing in jackson hole and it was um they have what's called american wilderness leadership school and they bring in teachers and educators and politicians and they teach them about gun safety um they certify them as an asp instructor uh they go through the economics of of hunting the politics of hunting all that kind of stuff for a week-long class and it's a really cool thing if you ever get a chance look up the american wilderness leadership school and that's it's funded by safari club international and what I, I saw a lot of the educators were like superintendents and teachers coming out of Chicago and New York, and they were bringing back um, firearm stuff to their schools for firearm safety, you know, like a sim trainer in the classrooms and, and archery. And it was it was so exciting to be a part of that. But the economics of hunting is huge, huge, huge thing that that I think sometimes uh, we miss as well as um as well as that we don't appreciate that, what that means and, and taking care of our natural resources in area. And I, I mean, South Dakota is great for that because it has huge natural resources. And I understand you have to protect that, um, but also look at the economics of that. And I mean, look at a, look at a non-resident tag in Iowa. It's, you know, three years to get it and it's almost 700 bucks. So obviously there's some value to that, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, and no so, kidding. so I think there's different ways to do that as well. But those are all. I mean, we could have conversations upon conversations about that kind of stuff. Yeah, but so let's let's shift gears to business yeah. side of things. What products do you yeah. currently have? Because I've got, especially around some archery things, I've got some questions. Yeah, you bet. So, so um, you know, way back in the day, I launched Flying Arrow Archery, the Toxic Broadhead with Chris Rager. Um, I worked out with Ben Stern and we launched Tacticam before that blew up. Um, what else? Oh, the first camel for Sitka was that mountain pattern. Um, we did licensing for, so I've been around a lot and doing different things for seven years. I worked with, uh, Chinese manufacturer and designing tree stands, ground blinds and ice fishing gear. And I, I parted ways because I really like made in America. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, um, so some of the companies I'm working with right now are A3 Strings. They're out of uh, Biola, Wisconsin. Um, 
and uh, it's an interesting, interesting product. I, I'm lucky I get to choose brands I get to work with um, because I'm always looking for unique things that make them differentiate them from co- competition. Um, work with Flex Fletch and Silenite Veins out of White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Um, do some stuff with Scree Gear. Um, what else do I have? Uh, um, optics company. Let's see what else. Uh, Modern Spartan Systems Gun Oil Lubricant and Additive. Um, I've got a fishing lure company called the Doomsday Turtle. Um, I know I'm going to miss a bunch here, and it's going to kick me in the. Oh, I've got a new clothing company out of Minnesota that's official uh, base layer for the NFL. Um, and they've got a really cool heated technology that doesn't require batteries. Um, so that's kind of cool. It's as soon as the material touches your skin, it starts warming up. So, so really like interesting a chemical time. reaction. <laughs> this makes, you know, my, I, I know it's not, but my science friend's like, well, you can't create energy. So yeah. where is it coming from? <laughs> but that's, yeah, a th- yeah, there it's something crazy on it. And I haven't, I need to get in the science more of it. But it's literally at, at the shot show. I put on a pair of their socks in my hand. It was like it wasn't quite as hot as having a, a hot hands. You know those little chemical bags things that you put in your gloves or whatever. It wasn't quite as hot as that, but it was significant enough to go. Wow, that's warming up, and there's no batteries. Oh, weird, huh? Yeah. Well, that's fasting out the. Uh, what you need to do is <laughs> you'll need to send me like your list of links or something and maybe you did on instagram but yeah and then i'll post them down below in the show notes but um let's let's focus on just some strings i got a new bow and i've just started putting some accessories on it um got a new hoyt highline that's the big boy bow uh because that's what i have to have and uh (laughs) um, it's so sweet Paid the extra money just to have different colored limbs, but it was worth it. That's that wilderness green with the black limbs, and then right. everything else is just blacked out. And I, I can't wait to shoot it. I shot it at a total archery challenge events event um, last year. But, in Rapid. Uh, yeah, yeah, or in yeah. Ter- at Terry Peak. In the yeah, Black Terry Hills. Peak. Yeah, we were there. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that I, I've done one of those also in uh, the Sunlight one in Colorado. Uh, which was a great time, and then this was my second one. Uh, sure. But me and my dad went, and he he was bugging me again about going this next year, which is it was fun. Right. It was totally fun. Right. Uh, so on these new strings, or I guess right. just after aftermarket strings, we get yeah. we get our new bows, or we we shoot them for a little while, and I know the bow shops say, oh, you got about six months to a year, maybe, or you've got a year and a half, maybe tops. I've never heard them say a year and a half to me, but always a year you got for the life of a string and you, you just need to keep swapping them out is what it seems like. Um, what, what's the difference between a factory string and some of these aftermarket strings? What's the difference? Well, I just did a video on it and actually I asked, are all both strings created equal? And, um, this is, this isn't really about a brand that I'll say this, this is just about facts, right? So for the last 40 years on the market, there was, um, basically everyone knows 452X. So 99% of all string makers use the same material called 452X. And that's a blend of fibers. And that blend is some of the fibers stretch and some are static. So it's, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a blend of fibers. So really everyone's using pretty much the same string material, right? To start out with. 
Um, so really there isn't um, a lot. Some uh, the factory strings and some companies will use a little bit cheaper blend. Um, and so you get more movement off of that than a, than a other one. Um, uh, some of the custom string makers do more on serving end loops or some other features, but just some minor things really that are different. It's really what I will just say is that it's 90% of it is marketing based on the bow strings. Um, the company that I'm working with right now um, stands out completely different on that because they're using a completely different material and um, they have a completely different process. And so those two things to me stand out and what I've learned about, I'm not a huge expert, but what I've seen is the science on that from people that using it as well as some of our some of the major bowl companies now that are really interested in it can um it, instead of a blend of 452x uh a3 archery does make strings with 452x for people who want the, the kind of same old thing but they also make um some of their strings their bloodline their platinum series out of a bloodline b99 fiber and that fiber is not a blend it's just a straight pure dyneema um fiber and that string has 32 strands on it versus 24 strands. And what you end up doing is you end up a, a rounder string um, and it doesn't flatten out through your cams. It also is waxless. Okay, all the other strings are waxless. So you have to wax the strings or they get fuzzy and they and because they're a blend, they end up wearing out. Um, this fiber doesn't move. Um, you put it on your string and it's locked in. And part of that is this process that they use. They call it the, their pre-cycle technology. So think of us, um, most string companies, though, all string companies, they build their strings and they stretch them in a static stretch, about 450 to 500 pounds. And they just stretch them out and then they tie them. And then when they take them off the pressure, then they have to be really careful so they don't unwind and everything else, right? Mm -hmm. If you've seen that, they come with paper clips on everything else. And... Um, a3 does an additional process on top of that they develop with uh, computers and all this kind of stuff. And basically, they bring it up and bring the poundage up and down and up and down um, in a dynamic movement that actually with much higher poundages um, in it. And what that does is when you get your string from A3, um, the string actually looks like a stainless steel cable. Um, there's no that doesn't come on mount i mean you can get your peep in it but the fibers are locked in like a stainless steel cable you know and with that you can unprime and what that does is it takes out all the movement all the voids and strings and so it's a combination of the process and the material that make it really superior um i can take a shot in string you know the someone says hey if you do two three hundred shots and now you're both now your string should be settled in, right? You shouldn't have any more timing issues. I can take that same string, run it through that process and get another quarter inch to five sixteenth inch movement out of that string. Right. Hmm. Right. So, so this has nothing to do with the brand. I mean, it's, uh, I'll say it, it's a three, but it's really about two, that I've learned is there's two things that are significantly different from a three than all other string builders on there. They're using a different material and a different process. Okay. And there are some bloodline fibers. People are using some bloodline. Bloodline makes another blend that is similar to a 452X. So there are some string makers that say they use bloodline, 
but it's really that 452X. The B99 is, because it's waxless, it's slipperier, it's harder to work with, harder to tie, and because of convenience and timing and things like that, uh, and expense, that um, they don't choose that, that B99 fiber. So on a, a regular, let's say, a, 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 not a cheaper made bow, but one that still right. has a little stretch to it, um, yep. or even the factory string, because I guess I don't even know what I have on my bow or what Hoyt has or what right. Matthews had, because it's just whatever deals they have with string makers. Um, right. You, you shoot that first two, 300 arrows or whatever, and you get that initial stretch out. Is there continued stretch throughout? It's it's not really a, truly a stretch. It, it's a perceived stretch. It's actually movement because there's voids that do come out eventually. And that's what you'll see um, when you keep shooting. You'll have to eventually retune your bow, you know, or change your peep a little bit. It'll creep a little bit. I mean, it's, it's close, but it, it does move after time. And it will definitely affect things for longer range shots. You know, if you're shooting 20, 30 yards, it's not going to be that big a deal. But if you do longer range shots and, and speed, like and we've taken um, these strings, the bloodline fiber ones in the platinum and put them on a bow on, on a new bow tech and, and uh, got another 12 feet per second off of it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marines Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. When when I ask people, what is is really different about your string versus anyone else's? And there's just crickets. Yeah. Hmm. But when when I can say, here's what's different, it's a different fiber, completely different fiber, it's not a blend. It's not waxless. Or, I mean, it is waxless. It's abrasion resistant and water resistant. And oh, by it'll make your bow shoot faster. There's more strands in it. <laughs> right? Sure. The list just goes on and on and on and on. That I can say this. This is actually the facts. It's not just because it's cool or it's got a better color or I'm a pro staff or stuff like that. So that's what I really, really appreciate about when I can get behind a brand like that, when there's actual something that's different. Yeah. Because it's, it's a different material and again, a different process and they're going to pick up speed the durability. We have some tournament shooters, you know, if you're a tournament shooter or even example, Ralph and Vicky are good friends. So they're like, man, I changed my bow strings at least three times a year. I can't all the shooting they do. I can't do that. I mean, once I feel confident, in my bow i just don't want to touch it right exactly who who likes to change their bow strings and who likes to fletch arrows right exactly <laughs> you, you get i like sticking with what works and just going with it i mean i so, this is so, a first bow for me since 2017 which is not that old for for a lot right. of people but 
It's new bow. It'll take a little while right. to get comfortable with it, with it. But I couldn't do a new bow every year. I couldn't. No. I just that's not how I work. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's kind of like your cuddly blanket or your or your black lab, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> yeah. Or or your Ford truck, right? But yeah. oh, but I think sure that's, that's a that connected. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There that you go. <laughs> yeah. So I I think that's what's unique. So if the tournament shooter is getting three years out of their strings at a high level AFA shooter. Um, you know, if they're, if they're getting three years out of it, imagine what average Joe bow hunter like us, I mean, that's, it's going to last as long as our bow is going to last. And we're, we're going to keep it and it's not going to move. So that's what I, I saw on, you know, I, again, I'm not the best archer in the world, but what I notice is the more I shoot or used to shoot, you know, with different strings on it, is that God, I have to always my change my pins or always tweaking with something. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. And, and that's what I realized is that there was just it's natural movement over time. And, and the more you shoot, the more it does. And if it's, um, if it's a wax string, you're not waxing it. What I also learned about it is that if let's say you set up your bow in July, right? Cause that's when you're really getting out and getting ready for the archery season. You're getting it set up and you've got a string that you wax, but come December, or January, you're hunting. Your timing is going to be off because that wax is going to change how your bow shoots. Hmm. Another thing I just thought of too, is we've been caught in snowstorms and, and uh, right. nobody that totally missed a deer just because of the rain down in Arizona that, Right, just hit and as as he shot, just that water just blew up, right, and his arrow just <laughs> died, <laughs> right. So that would be right. a huge factor of like, well, doesn't matter if it's raining or right. I mean, it's there's still resistant. still got to be a little bit of factors there to play because you've got added weight to a string, it just water on it or in your bow and whatever else. Probably a little factor, but if you can remove that that factor of a of uh string soaking up a bunch of moisture that's probably huge well and think about how many i mean i i've asked people how often do you wax your string some people it's like every time i shoot i look at it right other people it's once a year well <laughs> they're gonna have very degrees that your string is drying out on you and so it is gonna it's it's gonna shoot differently all the time if it's not consistent very interesting so, so yeah, so interesting, cool stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's that's an area I don't know much about in, and now I feel a little bit more educated. So that's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the the fletchings and veins that uh, the company over in White Bear what they have and got yeah. going on because that's that's an arrow that or an arrow that's a thing that I also don't feel confident in is matching my my both my arrow setup vein wise. Uh, to get get that quality arrow flight. So what what do they have going on over there? Right. So again, I'll just preface this and saying I'm not an expert. Okay, I'm not one of those guys that has to do 500 pushups before he shoots his bow kind of thing. Sure. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. Right. Or just shooting 150 yards. But um, I ran into Flex Fletch probably three years ago at the ATA show. And I said, you know, I've been in the industry a long time. Where are you guys from? And they said, Minnesota. And I said, what? No, you're not. And so the story went around and really they've, Flex Fletch has, was the first non-feathered vein on the market in 1970. 
um, if they would have been had a really good patent attorney, they would have owned the market because uh, they didn't patent their design. They didn't patent that it was a non-feathered vein, you know. And if they would have, they would own the industry. They also came up with the first glue as well. So if you know the boning, well, I won't even get into that story. But anyway, <laughs> so they have they have a product called FlexBond, right? And it's Boney's recipe is the same exactly as FlexBond, and and our that one came out of the, on the market in 1970. So that's kind of a we've been the standard glue for a long time before Siren Acrylide Super Glues came on the market. But anyway, so FlexFletch is kind of pretty cool because as I dug into it more, I'm like, what is this company that's been around for 50 years and I've never heard about it? So, because I'm not a target guy, right? And so, but what I learned is that 90% of their sales are international. I started digging into it more and I found out the Korean national team that's the only van that they shoot. I found out the Netherlands national team, that's the only van they shoot. The Colombian national team, it's the only van that they shoot. I'm like, okay. So then I've got Sarah Lopez. I think she's eight or nine time world champion. Mike Schlosser, same thing. They're using our veins and have been offered tens of thousands of dollars from other folks. And they're like, we're not switching. So as a American guy who likes to sell things, I'm going, okay, what are these guys getting paid? And they're not, they're just, why are they making that choice? So I found out more about it is that, again, here's a company that has a different material and a different process than everything else. Most veins in the market, and I just thought this, right? Everyone knows the, the boning blazer, right? And, and or AE or TAC or vein tech, and all of the veins are, are melted plastic and they're extruded like, um, well, just like a tube of toothpaste. They're just extruded through a thing. If you look at them, they all have straight walls. Um, and um, and so FlexFletch does things differently. They actually blend their own polyurethanes together on site in, in White Bear Lake. Uh, most of their veins are a two-part polyurethane, the Silent Night, a little bit different. That's a three-part polyurethane. They mold them in and these molds and in little strips and they're tapered from the base to the edge of the vein. So it was actually designed by an aeronautic engineer instead of just, we all think, oh, it's just the shield cut or just the, the parabolic cut and that's it. But instead of just the side profile, they looked at it as a straight on profile, like a wing hmm. and made them thinner, thinner and tapered. Um, and um, just more aerodynamic. The polyurethane has a different material or chemical, excuse me, different characteristic to it. But the biggest thing is that um, the people love is that it's super, super tough. Those 3D and ASA shooters and target archers around the world that I've interviewed, I mean, they're stacking arrows in over and over and over, and they're not getting tears. I mean, oh, how, sure. uh, like I said, who hates to refletch arrows, right? If you haven't refletched it because your your veins are tearing. I hate it, right? Or I hit a soft yeah. spot of the target, and it goes in. And right. And I terrible. have to pull it pull it out, and I get a little wavy vein to right. it. So, so think think about that. If, if this melted plastic, I think about like a, a melt carton. If you bend over a melt carton, you get a crease in it, right? And mm-hmm. you can heat it back up, but you've got a weak spot in it now. For these veins, actually, we've buried them into a target, left them into a target for months. 
pulled them out within 10 minutes, they come back to shape on their own. Hmm. So it's a different material that has different characteristics. So it's tougher. It comes back to shape on its own. Um, if you're, if you don't like the fletch, you put them on Ryan Jeffries, who just took second place this, this summer behind, uh, Levi Morgan, Ryan pulled out a set of arrows he had from 20 years ago, brought him to the ATA show. And he said, how old do you think these babies are? I said, I don't know. He said, they're 20 years old. Wow. He said, I, I shot them for three years competitive and, and target. And now they're just kind of in the garage, but literally they look like new. So durability is really yeah. what, and, and then I guess the, the aerodynamics piece of that on. Right. Got right. It. So I'm looking yeah. at those silent night ones and profile wise, you compare them to a AAE max, like length wise. Are they about the same height wise? Are they about the same? Um, they're close. Um, um, they're pretty close, except you're looking at when you're dealing with FOC, because our veins are thinner and tapered, they're a lot less weight. Oh. So FOC changes a big deal on it. So our th- think about this. I'm just going next to like a blazer two inch, right? Yeah. Our, our three inch veins are less than a blazer two inch. Okay. So you're, <laughs> right? yeah. So thinner, it's almost like you've got a more of a, a controlled bear shaft then <laughs> because you, right. you have less wind resistance there. You yeah. have, um, still the, still the control of that arrow um right because it's going to grab it's still still there <laughs> it's not right. it's not there uh and then the right. durability hmm well i don't want to go fletching more arrows now <laughs> <laughs> right but but i'm, right. I'm and, an easy you know, people, sell <laughs> right so so i'll i'll you know some of the skeptics out there said oh flex fletch you know they're harder to fletch or they had adhesion issues or things like that or you had to do all this prep well about five years ago, they switched from, because they're molded, you have to have a mold release, right? Instead of extruded where you just, you're just ripping them out. Um, so they had a mold release that um, they switched to a water base that evaporates and then they wash them now. And actually, it's like a washing machine. They actually wash all the veins before they, they go out um, so that literally you can use any glue on them now. You don't have to prep them. Um, the no, biggest no thing that primers I, or anything? No, we sell a primer pen, but I, I should t- say that, that we should use it, but I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I on, don't. gluing on wraps are no big deal. No, no, it's not. And what's interesting is that um, with a thinner base, they're much more flexible. Mm. And so um, so I, we've had people put a five-degree helical using a vein tech on them. I'm like, holy smokes. You know, you're going to put a major parachute on it with a four-fletched, five-degree helical, but it can be done because it's it's a very flexible vein. In fact, that's the other cool thing. We did a stretch test, and you could take this and just do this with your veins. Is you know, if you've got some extra veins laying around, take one of the silenite or the flex butt veins, put it in a vise, and grab a hold of it with a plier and pull it out about four or five inches. Right? Do that with one of your other veins; it'll no tear. Flex sure. fletch, that, that, theirs will come back to shape on their own after you, you stretch it out like that. Is there is there any certain wraps that work better with those veins? 
Um, because I had someone tell me once, actually, John Dudley told me once that uh, not all raps are created equal. (laughs) And oh, yeah, because I asked him that question, and then I got no context after that because it was just in passing in a total archery (laughs) shoot. So I I, I haven't, using these veins now, I haven't found that there's an issue. Obviously, wraps are nice because if you want to switch colors, the wraps make it come off cleaner and easier um, than, than without. But I, I personally, again, I'm average Joe Archer, that I, I use wraps on some of my stuff for making them pretty and others I don't. And um, it's, I really haven't seen any difference either way. Okay. Well, very but, cool. But glue, glue is the biggest thing that most people don't know. If you're using a siren acrylide super glue, you know you've got about a month with that after you open it up once. And and some people are like, "What? I didn't know that." And that's if they're having adhesion issues, most likely they have old glue. Oh. Hmm. Which I yeah. have had. I had some some adhesion issues last year with some right. some arrows, and I was like, "I'm not doing anything wrong here." So maybe no. it was just so, old, old glue. So one thing to look at is um, in like a plastic, like the Loctite super glue stuff, right? In a plastic bottle like that or any plastic bottle, plastic actually breathes um, and oxygen can get in it and actually make the glue bad. So once that seal broke on it, um, your glues will last much longer in glass or like with ours are actually foil tubes. Hmm. Okay, so you guys definitely would recommend your adhesive. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yes. Sure. Sure. Good answer. I'll hold that for a salesman. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Go with ours. <laughs> but really, any because that's a big sale point for people is that it's you don't have to. I mean, we got it, but you don't have to. You have right. whatever you have as long as it's, I guess, newer glue or. Yeah, yeah, there are other companies that say, oh, you have to use their glue and their primer, and that's the only way it's going to work. Well, it may be because of how their vein is, or it could be because they just want to sell more of their own stuff. But I'm just going to tell you that with ours, you don't need to. Yeah. Okay, so I want to move on to the last product um, that (laughs) is totally different but has me very intrigued and I know it works. I've seen it work, but the uh, velvet lock. Um, oh, sure. I mean, we didn't even mention that, but I was just flipping through <laughs> right. an old an old Instagram DM there and saw, oh yeah, velvet lock. I mean, we've looked at that for. Um, I need to. I was gonna get some for just when I take people out hunting early season, just to have it, so it's there and right. ready to roll. It blows my mind that you can just spray it on there, and it's good to go. Like I, I've seen it work on a, a big 370 inch bull, uh, took right. four, four bottles of it, but it, right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause you got to douse it. What is that stuff? How does that work? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So velvet antler technologies is the name of the company. And here's another company that has something really unique that I just, I had to be a part of. And so it, the original product was velvet lock. And so, Daryl was hunting, you know, up in Idaho is where he's at. And, and he was getting just flies on getting in his velvet like crazy. He was like, this is crazy. I got to figure out something. So he did. I can't tell you what's in it because yeah, I signed an NDA, <laughs> NDA. But 
but basically it's something that keeps the bugs off for starters um, and keeps them from getting into it. But it also will dry the velvet out and, um, and you know, you do have to saturate it and you can see at the saturation point, kind of like a sponge, when you spray something into a sponge, cause that's what really velvet is, is that you can see where it's really wet or where it's just kind of surface wet. And as you do that, um, you can see it move. And what happens is you spray that in there, saturate it in and set it out for about 36 hours outside in the sun. Okay. So that's the big thing. It really needs UV to, to activate it. And what that does is that it actually, it sucks and pushes the blood out of the velvet through the pedicles. And if, if you've, if, you know, we've seen pictures of it or whatever, it looks just like the skull is bleeding because all that stuff has came out of the pedicles. The only time that it doesn't work, if we have issues, people say, oh, that didn't work for this. I shot this big, you know, 200 crazy thing. It's got a crazy drop time or, or they put it upside down is that you always have to think about gravity. So if there's something in that rack, then when you have it tines up, that there's going to be a spot that doesn't drain out the pedicle, then then you have to put a um, uh, syringe in there and and let it drain out of that spot. Oh. You know, yeah. Or people will their usual thing is they get a buck and they they take off the skull cap and they hang it upside down in the garage. Well, nothing is going to drain out there because it needs to be tines up and drain out the pedicle. So that's so, the only time that there's ever had issues. So you got that big bulbous drop tine coming down. You're literally yep. just sticking a syringe in it so that that blood has a place to go. Yep, like a big uh, eight gauge or ten gauge syringe, and and put that in there and open it up and just it just acts just like a shunt. Huh. That's yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, <laughs> and, and what's crazy about it is that so this replaces formaldehyde, right, or freeze drying. And if you've ever had a formaldehyde buck or a freeze-dried buck, you have to be pretty careful with it afterwards. You know, it's like that velvet, oh, I can't touch it. But with this product, it's, I mean, Daryl's got one of a mule deer he brings to the shows that he did 20 years ago in velvet. And people are rubbing up and down just like a, a leather glove on it. And it's super, super durable. Huh. Because I hate the look of, of fake velvet. I hate yeah. it. Um I am not even a, I don't even bow hunt until deer are hard horned. It's not, I'm a, I'm the odd guy out here. I don't want a velvet animal. Um, no. and part of it is because of, well, the oh. stripping and the, this and that. Right. And, and, and also there's something about just, I think of a big burly necked mule deer that's hard horn and chocolate. Horn. I mean, I can't, right. you can't beat a chocolate horned anything. Right. Right. Um, right. But, and, and many people would disagree. There's something about the velvet that's addicting. Um, I'm not team velvet, but I would, uh, right. It, there's, I can't just not hunt during that time. <laughs> I'm going right. to have to eventually here or, uh, I, cause they're so patternable. Um, right during that time it's hard it, to pass it up i would love to do some of that early season mule deer out in the plains here and right. and those bucks that are all in their big bachelor groups that'd be a good time but uh, right that whole of what do i do with it now is is a right. problem is there a shelf life on that so like can a hunter buy some bring it along on every hunt and he's good for a couple of years or is this a, oh yeah no you're good to go you're good to go okay you're good, good to, to know. yeah you're 
Yeah. So, and then the other cool thing is, did you see the hide lock? Um, no. Explain. So a hide lock is, so let's say you have a nice animal and you keep it um, out in the field and you're, you're like, okay, I got to roll this up and I, and, and I got to get it to, I got to get it in a cooler or something like that to keep bugs off it. Or you, you kill an elk up in the back country and you're like, oh, what do I do? I don't, I've got to save this cape, right? Or you kill a bear, right? Up in the, way back in the country, you're a goat or a sheep and you're like, it's just a nightmare. What do I got to do? Do I got to haul salt up? you know, all that kind of stuff and plan ahead where this hide lock stuff is another crazy thing is that literally you um, flush it out, um, cut off all the extra fat and meat off the hide or the cape and spray this on the skin side, not on the fur side. And what it does is it actually um, tightens up the pores and holds the hair in so you don't have hair loss. So think about antelope, you know, I mean, they're, they're notorious for, for hair loss. So you spray this on it, holds that in there. It also um, prevents it. Well, here's an example. So we took a chunk of antelope hide and we cut it in two parts, threw one in, as, in a garbage bag and um, just as is. And we sprayed the other one with hide lock, threw it in the garbage bag and threw it in the horse trailer for a week. Okay, we brought it out and actually, um, what's his name from? Um, oh, he's got, about a 14-year-old kid now, has his own clothing style. Uh, what's his name? Uh, not Carlos. Anyway, um, he did this as well with his dad, and um, he pulls the one out and is like, oh, my God, I can't even. There's bugs in it, maggots, everything else after a week. And he's like, okay, the other one was like, huh, it smells just fine. And um, it basically preserves it and keeps it from decomposing. Huh. So the- it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't pan it, but yeah. it stops it from decomposing, stops it from bugs getting into it. Bugs don't like this stuff. And so you don't have to refrigerate, you don't have to freeze your capes, your hides, anything like that. And uh, literally you're carrying around a bottle or maybe two bottles instead of 10, 20 pounds of salt. Yeah. And then so you're you're just pulling off some extra hunks of meat off of there. You're not doing a full fleshing job because that's not realistic either right. in the field. No, no. And you can see the, you can see the videos that it's, it's literally, you know, taking off the chunks of meat and getting it down there. As long as you can get it down to the where the hide is getting into that where you have exposure of this product to get it soaked into the hide and it, and it holds the hair on it. So it's, um, it's pretty crazy, um, what it does. And then the, the other product he has is another one to keep bugs out called trophy clean. So all your mounts, you know, once or twice a year, you spray down your mounts, wipe them down with this stuff. It takes all the grease and oil off of it, but then also, prevents and kills any bugs mites any of that kind of stuff eggs that are in it that have been laid in it kills that and keeps them away uh, um i talked i, I talked with like nate hosey and randy birdsong at headhunter they lost 12 months to, to moss well, yeah. that's not a cheap de- that's not a cheap deal no and, i mean a lot of people have losing that or you see a little bit of hair loss along the edges they really come in like on whitetail and elk from the backside or mule deer from the backside um you know where that board is and they get in that side and they start working up on the edge man it's, it's crazy or in ears too that's another spot that they get yeah. and start doing some damage and literally and yeah literally twice a year if you clean your mount down wipe it down now you protect it from bugs because I, I mean I, I buy and sell taxidermy as my side business oh, and i sure. just bought some 
insecticide thing, whatever, to spray stuff down. But if there was something specifically meant for that, I'm buying right. that. I'm getting yeah. some of that. Because that's, yeah, that's, that's always a concern. I get animals with bugs in. on. Oh, yeah. yeah and so I get concerned oh, you bring about... bring them in your house? You bring them in your house, you rest your mouth, so get them. Exactly. So I have a I have a separate place for for where I store my mounts, but they're um, they're going in an area with other mounts, like a whole bunch of them, like lots yeah, and lots you, of money worth of mounts. So I I treat them. Tur- turkey? Do you have any turkeys or deer mounts? I mean, turkeys or duck mounts? No, no, I don't, because because you can't buy and sell waterfowl, and that's so that's I don't oh, ever have any of that. Sure. I've had turkey, right? But right, but they're notorious for getting uh, birds are notorious for getting mites because they already carry them. Oh, you sure. know, yeah. And so that this product works fantastic on that. And then we took some a product, or we took that and actually modified it to a new product called um, Fanlock. So if you kill a, a turkey in the field, you actually spray this on, saturate the pan, spread it out. And, and spray it every couple of days for five days, and it, any fat or meat or whatever that's in that tail, it it basically dries it up in, into almost like a plastic. It's crazy, um, huh. and it keep, and it kills all the mites and bugs and keeps them away, as well as like let's say you got a really cool spur spurs on a bird and you want to preserve the feet. Well, you spray this in there and it, or eject it in the feet, whatever you want to do on it. And saturate those feet, and it preserves those feet and keeps the bugs off your feet, your fans, all that stuff. Which which product is that? The trophy that, clean? That's called no, that's called fan lock. Oh, because I'm looking at the is that one separate on the? Yeah, they're all they're all different. There's fan lock, high oh, lock. Oh, view um, all. Just got to view all, tro- and I'll see yeah, them. There it is. Yeah, which yeah, is trophy clean. Your timing. Got bone, yeah, then they've got bone bright for doing euros and taking the grease out of them. Hmm. Your your timing is unbelievable. I'm te- teaching a, a turkey fan taxidermy but, class tonight. <laughs> right. Well, think about that. All the borax you have mm-hmm. to use or stuff. And what that does is it just dries it out. It doesn't keep the bugs out of it. Yeah. And I'll have to check out this other uh, whitening stuff. I have a African lion skull that is kind of greasy yet. Um, oh, yeah. And whenever you get that grease stuff, it's just um, a mess. Yeah. But yeah, this like just sucks, sucks that grease out. So wow. it's really cool. So, so we what I think about this is that we changed all these products in the past. Last year were called like Velva Clean, Velva this, Velva that. I'm like, hold on. Most of these products are not about velvet. Right. You know, let's name them for what they're supposed to be named for. Uh, like the stain scrub, that's pretty cool. You got a deer out, you're full of blood. Even if you don't get time to wash it right away and dries up, you spray that stain scrub on, and literally you can take a wet washcloth and wipe that dried stuff right off just like trying to clean keep antlers get the blood yeah. off antlers without taking the brown off. oh yeah exactly yep exactly that works great on that as well oh i see just so or or, or like bags the, or, packs or, yeah i mean and their their head hauler is pretty cool so again another small company out of idaho with some really cool innovation and there's nothing else like it on the market so it's really easy for me to get behind you know, we talk about it as uh, from the field to the family room. There's a whole line of products for taking care of your trophies from the field to the family room. Hmm. Yeah. Well, my goodness. I, I didn't know there was all, that entire product line. I'm on their website now just looking at all that stuff. That's that's well, pretty sweet. Again, it's great, great about the product and stuff. But I think 
it's a really helpful tool for hunters. And that's anytime I can get behind a brand that has something that can help us and make us be better or keep our gear longer or whatever and make your time feel better. It's, it's an easy sell then for people because it's not about a name. It's really about making something that actually does a difference. Wow. And all American made right. products. Right. So stuff made there in Idaho, right there in White Bear Lake, yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. Right. And A3 is out of where? They're out of Viola, Wisconsin. They used to be out of Washington and they moved to Wisconsin. Well, very cool. Um, and yeah. I know our, our hunting list, uh, community listeners appreciate that. Enjoy that as well. As you see, uh, not buying stuff at Walmart. I was literally talking to the the owner of Coltec, um, oh yeah. yes, yesterday or this weekend because he was at a show I was at and he's a buddy of mine and he just was talking about I don't we're people don't get it like the or some people don't get it that the Walmart junk the <laughs> that stuff is not we're not selling there we're making high quality right. stuff and and uh, um. Yeah, he was just airing some grievances on a, a particular outdoor show that, that that's what they they had a lot of a lot of booths there that were just all of that kind of stuff. And he's like, eh, no, no. The uh he'd just gone to the, the outdoor expo in, in Utah and said, That is a place to be. That is all the right. same like minded people that want to have that quality right. gear. And we're as hunters right. we're willing to pay for it. I am so glad I dropped what I did on a good pack and what I Right. Yeah, on good boots. I Call me a snob, right. snob now because uh, I used to hunt in blue jeans, but I don't hunt in blue jeans anymore. <laughs> and uh, and what a, and my school backpack, uh, I don't want to. Right. <laughs> I like right. I like quality gear, and that's why I nerd out about all this sort of thing because something new, innovative that's not just a a remake of an existing thing. There's it's it's uh right. You know a company out stuff? of Idaho called Scree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they've got a lifetime warranty on their gear. Hmm. Yeah, that's... I mean, how many how many COVID companies have a lifetime warranty? Well, if that were the case, that... I I've got about three pairs of pants with zipper issues. I'd be... <laughs> I'd be right. So yeah, back. so they're great. They're great about that. I I, uh, I uh, use their stuff at the ranch all the time because it's just it's so I call it the Carhartt of Camel, and they're not really a truly client of mine. I just I, I just use it because I'm constantly burning through stuff you know cryptic or other stuff and i, I thought I, they were in colorado um scree yeah um i can think about it i thought they're in idaho idaho or utah huh. I, I have a couple different clients i think they're in utah actually huh yeah there was a i swear because i had i had messaged back and forth early on in uh um my podcast stuff and that was i thought sure. they were in colorado but i mean their phone number is four three five so yeah that's not colorado western colorado but well interesting well very yeah. cool um yeah that's uh that, that'll wrap up our our podcast and wow gave us gave us some some money to go spend <laughs> but uh well. i i learned a bunch there and hopefully listens listeners learned a bunch if you wouldn't if you got anything you want to plug quick or um, to to follow, maybe find that YouTube video on all strings aren't created equal or anything like that. Yeah. Do it now. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I, I, it's usually on the A3 page is where that is. But literally, I, I appreciate the time. Um, I'm 
you know, it's always a good thing to, to visit and I uh, appreciate it. Hopefully we can uh, share camp together sometime. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love the Northwest part of the, of the state and there's a, there's a lot of opportunity up there. So yeah. Don't want to thank you again, Dirk, for reaching out and, and, uh, connecting. Like I like you said earlier, it's fun to, there's always more and more people to connect with. You never know who's out there. So thanks again for coming on and we'll post all this stuff below for, uh, links for people to go check out. Thanks, Clint. Have a good one. Every once in a while, it's fun to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.